Think Red Ink Ministries presents The Words of Jesus series with Don C. Harris Hello my friends and welcome once again to the Words of Jesus series. I'm Don Harris, your host. Hope you're enjoying our series as we continue talking about what Jesus had to say and uh, applying that to our lives. Whole idea is to get to the point that these stories and what Jesus had to say so familiar that you find yourself thinking red ink. Last time we talked from um, chapter 37 of our little book about Jesus walking on the water. And if you'd like, I'll read it again and put us all there if we can. While Jesus was alone in the mountain praying, his disciples entered a boat and started over the sea toward Capernaum. But the wind rose and lashed the sea into great waves and held up their progress. About the fourth watch of the night, do you know how that works, by the way? Um, watches are essentially hours. Um, and you'll also find the word watch uh, when it talks about um, a, a military occupation for a particular time. Um, example is um, uh, the Pharisees were a little concerned when uh, they put Jesus into the tomb. They said, they're going to come and steal his body and they're going to make up this big story about the resurrection. We don't want that to happen. So uh, if you would, put a watch on the grave. And a watch is a, uh, uh, it could be as, you know, a handful of soldiers, could be one, two, whatever. But you remember he says, you have a watch make it as sure as you can. Uh, so you'll see this word a couple of times in the King James. And, um, but essentially, when you're talking about a watch, you're talking about a certain watch of the night. And if I'm not mistaken, it actually is not comparable to an hour. It's, a compar it's comparable to a, uh, to a shift. Um, and there's different opinions on it, so you know you can't be... Uh, so precise about it, but um, the because the days were reckoned from sundown, um, the first hour of the day is actually um, well. Again, you got you have the day and night thing because uh, remember when Jesus says, uh, "Are there not twelve hours in a day?" Well, no, Jesus, there's twenty four hours in a day, but. It's, it is that their, their reckoning of time was um, that there were 12 hours of daylight, 12 hours of dark. But the first uh, hour of the day is actually um, the first hour of nighttime. I and mean, if you're talking about a 24-hour day, as the sun comes up, uh, that becomes daylight hours. And that's usually reckoned from about 6 o'clock. So th the reckoning of time is probably not particularly what we're used to, but uh, you'll get it as you, as you read through the scriptures. You'll see that when they talk about certain hours of the day, it can easily be translated so that we understand what it was. Now, this particular fourth watch of the night uh, tells us that this was um, in indeed the nighttime, and uh, Jesus uh, decided to walk out to these people on the water, and uh, he's walking on the sea toward them. Now, if you can put yourself on the boat for just a moment, uh, these people are probably soaking wet. 
uh, there, the Bible says that the wind was so bad that it lashed upon the boat. Um, I don't know if you've been in a boat uh, in, in, a, in a little heavier than, than what we would consider calm seas, but as the water lashed upon the boat and the wind carried that water, these people were probably soaking wet. There was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of up and down and back and forth motions. There, were, there was mist coming from the sea, uh, coming from the waves and such as that. So when they looked out there and they saw a figure of a man um, and they knew they weren't close enough to shore to actually see a man, uh, they were amazed that, that they indeed saw a man standing in the water. Now, uh, their are ideas. I promised I would read this, didn't I? Well, perhaps I'll read it as we go. Um, but as they, as they saw this man coming to them on the sea, um, the, their preconceived ideas uh, usually get in the way of our understanding. I mean, even in this book, this, this book that was written or printed at least in the 40s, there's a little woodcut of Jesus here, and he's walking on the sea, and he's got wings, right? Well, we know Jesus didn't have wings, and <laughs> there's... You know, we, what is this? These are all preconceived ideas that we have about Jesus. I think many people will uh, not recognize Jesus without a halo or without long hair or without a white robe or without whatever they have invented in their mind as to who he is. This is why when the Antichrist comes, many are going to think that he's Jesus Christ because he's going to look exactly like you think Jesus ought to. Uh, another story for another day. Well, when they saw this, uh, Jesus, uh, w when Jesus was standing there, Peter looked out there and said, it is a spirit. Now, this comes not from any theology that Jesus taught. This comes from, from the theology, the understanding, the doctrine. Just growing up under all this for so many years, this was the way that he interpreted what he saw. And uh, it was obviously a, a, a tumultuous night. It was obviously, you know, visibility was very low, and uh, it, it would be very difficult to believe what you're seeing. So Jesus, uh, Peter translated all this into, it is a spirit. Now, I would caution any Christian, um, especially those of us who are concerned about truth, and there's many Christians who, frankly, are not. But if you are one who is concerned with truth, I think that it would behoove you to examine the kind of words you use, the thoughts you use, and the, and the things that, you, that you're, you're trying to translate something that's, that's spiritual into some kind of, a, of an understanding so that you can grasp what you see. That's why when people say they're going to heaven when they die, I know what they mean. They're not going to heaven when they die, but I understand what they mean. And there's no real point in, uh, you know, giving them the... That that fig, that wagging finger and telling them that it, that they're wrong about this or that or if they want to talk about it fine but if they don't that's fine too um, you know there's people who want to believe that Jesus you know uh, appears in some certain way or all these things are very insignificant unless they're being taught as doctrine and you know you you probably noticed that my complaint is not with the the, the the vast membership of people out there that are trying to have a relationship with God and they're constantly being fed these pablum diets 
of, uh, of, of man's opinion over the pulpit, th they hardly have anything to work with, bless their hearts. And so they say things that are ridiculous, uh, in some cases even stupid, ideological, uh, trying to explain what they understand in the spirit. But um, I don't think that we need to be so uh, critical about the way each other, one another, our brethren, express themselves. However, when it comes to the area of teaching, a, a minister is under a totally different set of rules. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, Brethren, be not many teachers, seeing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. I don't know how you're going to read that and not understand that you're going to be held teacher to a higher standard than will be any of the body of Christ. Millions and millions of people, I believe, will be saved, will be brought into the kingdom of God, even in the worst cases of ignorance. But I, I don't believe for one moment that anybody is going to be brought into the kingdom of God in willing ignorance. And when we are willingly ignorant of uh, what we know to, know to be so, we know it to be fact, we've read it in the scriptures, we understand exactly what the scriptures are trying to say, yet we rebel against what the Bible says and insist on our own way, yeah, you're, you're walking a very dangerous path there. So Jesus didn't come back and give him a diatribe on, uh, look, when somebody's dead, they're in the ground and they're awaiting the resurrection. They, you know, these, these, what, are they, what are you talking about, these spirits? What are, you, what are you even saying that? Uh, Christians today, they have no compunction whatsoever of talking about their grandmother or their grandfather, you know, and oh, I feel like he's here. No, he's not here. He's in the grave. And the spirit that made him alive has returned to the Father and will one day come back to that body if he's, if he's brought back in the first resurrection and he's going to be made alive again. Yeah, you find that hard to believe? You want to hear another story that's really hard to believe? Two people can mix microscopic particles and create a child. Is that, is that, do you understand that? Nobody does. You want to hear another miracle? Take a seed that's been dead for 20 years. And a little dry seed, stick it in the ground, spit on it, and you're going to have a plant. You want to hear another miracle? <laughs> they go on and on. So... The miracle of the resurrection, it's hardly even, uh, it's hardly even debatable, is it? I know, I know you want to think that your, that your you know, relatives are still alive and they're all floating around in here or whatever, but there's nothing in Scripture about that. Now, uh, as I say, it's, it's not a matter of just chastising one another and trying to, uh, you know, trying to correct them or make them see your way of thinking or whatever else. We need to be a little kinder to each other. But you teachers, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. You preachers, you ought to be ashamed of yourself for saying some of the things you say. You're just reinforcing things that are just simply not true. And you're creating havoc in people's understanding and in their logic and in their, in their understanding of what's right and wrong. Um, you know, when you, when you say Jesus can do anything, uh, you know, or do you really need to say that? Why would you need to say that to somebody? So Jesus can save people in their sins? <laughs> Look, the, the fact is, is us fallible people, we fallible people, 
We're going to take whatever you say and we're going to make a reason for us to continue doing what we've always done and expect a different result. So you ministers and, and teachers, you're under a totally different mandate, under totally different rules, and you're going to give an account for that. So, uh, you know, I wouldn't brag about being a teacher, especially not to the Lord, when he says, one is your teacher. Now, so we hear, we hear Peter say, it is a spirit. Well, Jesus didn't say it's, it's a spirit. He says, it's me. And cheer up, relax. It's just me. Now, as I say, I think it was a playful thing on the part of, of Peter to say, okay, if it's you, then I want to come out there too. That, you look like you're having a blast. This is great. <laughs> and, so, and so Peter steps out of the boat, and the Bible says he descends from the boat. This was not a, a little Sears John boat. This was a, this was a fishing boat. This was a, a boat of considerable size. And so when he descended down out of the boat, buddy, he was committed. Uh, you know, it's not like standing one foot in the John boat and then touching the water with your other foot and tapping it around and seeing if it's firm. Uh, this was a guy that when you go over the side of a larger boat, you're committed. And uh, buddy, he was committed when he came down out of that boat. It's also interesting that uh, Jesus was uh, probably a far, away, far away from this boat at this particular point. Uh, as I say, the visibility was probably very, very slight at that time. So um, you could expect him to be, you know, 50, perhaps 100 feet away from this boat and still be recognized as a man. Um, and uh, so Peter, he's decided to go out on the water to him. It wasn't that Jesus was at the boat when this happened. Um, you know, Jesus, Peter didn't want to go stand on the water. He wanted to walk on the water. Bid me to come. You see, this, this shows the distance between these men. So Peter decides that he's going he's gonna to go out there because the Lord said, come, good for him. And uh, he's going to, none of the rest of the disciples dared try this, but Peter decided he was going to go. And so he walks out, and um, as he's walking on the water, he's, I can't believe he doesn't have this really goofy grin on his face. And he's, uh, you know, looking all around, and he's fascinated with what's going on. And uh, I think that this is indicative or at least a, a, a picture, um, a simile, a metaphor of uh, those of us who actually step out of our boat, uh, the, the thing in which we trust to keep us afloat in life, and uh, we're going to try something else. We're going to try something that kind of goes against nature. It goes against everything we've ever understood. Now, Peter was a fisherman. He was well acquainted with uh, the sea and with boats and with water. He's probably been in it a couple of times. He understands these kinds of things. Now, you're going to find that in your Christian experience that you are very well accustomed to doing things in a certain way. This is what gets the job done. This is not what gets the job done. If I have to go from standing on this shore over to that island, I know through experience that I'm going to have to have a boat to do that. Peter was well aware of this, and, um, and you're going to find that what he acquired as far as knowledge of, of boats and, and water and fishing and storms and all these kind of things starts to creep into his spiritual uh, life, so to speak. As we continue with this thought as a metaphor, many times I think people 
um, who have decided to step out of their boat and go toward Jesus, realize that, man, we're under a totally new set of laws here. We're under a totally new set of, of, uh, of, of, of physics. I mean, things are, are really different in this situation, in our spiritual life, than they ever have been in our physical life. And it, it's, it's, I don't know, fortuitous? I don't know that these two stories that we dealt with the last show and then this one, the last show, when we were talking about uh, the uh, uh, Jesus feeding the 5,000, I was showing you that it's very important that we understand that our physical needs and our physical nature and what we understand about life needs to merge in, in a very homogenous way to our, uh, our spiritual lives, and they need not be separated. Um, and, and many times when we do separate them, uh, we, we push uh, the spiritual part of our life, the spiritual power in our life, away from the physical and and you know never the twain shall meet this is when we spend all of our money and all of our time in doctors and hospitals only to have the doctor finally come to us and say all we can do now is pray well you know <laughs> you could have done that before what do you mean all we can do now is pray <laughs> well what he's saying is is the physical's been exhausted here and if there is any turn for the better it's going to be um, some spiritual manifestation or some good graces of God and these kind of things. I understand what they're saying. But I, I really think that this comes from this idea of separating spiritual from physical. And, and as I say, I think it's fortunate that we have this, this next story to come right behind this because what this is doing is showing us an opposite view that we must separate these two things. We have to do this. Well, is this contradictory? Many times when we have to understand something and it's not in our mental purview to understand, we're going to find things that look like, smell like, they, they, they sound like when we talk about them, contradiction. When in reality, they're not contradiction, it's just that you cannot see the whole picture. So there is a time when things spiritual are to be separated from things natural. And, and there are times when things natural and things spiritual must overlap for, for both of them to have their, their, their full impact in our life. Well, so what's the rule? How do we make this work? Friend, you're going to have to make this work for yourself. That's, that's all there is to it. You're going to have to figure these things out. I wish I could tell you to turn over to Second Opinion 16.1 and read... And it'll tell you exactly what to do. I wish I could do that, but I can't. So what do we need? We need the Word of God. Not our Bibles. We need to hear from the Lord. So you're going to find two, essentially two different kinds of instructions, and you're going to have to receive from the Lord. And the Lord speaks to you and says, Now, Don, in this situation here, you're going to have to separate the spiritual from the physical. Your physical is getting in the way of the spiritual. You're blocking... You're blocking you know, what I'm trying to show you here by your own intelligence and your own abilities and, and whatever else is in your life that is that's clogging up this understanding. Well, then it's time to do that. There may be a time when you're saying that you know, you're becoming so 
spiritually minded. You're no earthly good. <laughs> I mean, and there's, so there may come a time that things have to be merged. Friend, I don't know how you're going to do this with a Sunday school quarterly. I really don't. I don't know where you're going to find a book that's going to explain this. But your father sits and waits to and bids us to the throne to hear him teach us exactly what he wants us to do. What are you afraid of, of doing that? Are you afraid you're not qualified? What is it that keeps us away from the most valuable resource of knowledge and understanding that could be available to any man on the face of the earth? This is, this is so important. It's more important than anything in your life. Think of what's the most important thing in your life. Got it? This is more important. <laughs> Why? Because when it comes to the physical things in your life that you feel like are important, you're going to need the wisdom of God and the knowledge of God to handle those things in such a way as to not exacerbate the problem, make things work, make things worse, make them explode in your face, um, or, or you find yourself with multiple problems because there's another problem out there brewing that you weren't aware of while you're dealing with this one. And Oh, does that sound like your life? Well, that was mine, and it's, I think it's a lot of people's lives. We're just so busy trying to make things work that uh, we're just not stopping and saying, you know, let's, let's consult the manual on this. And our manual is, is not necessarily a book. Our manual is to sit at the feet of the Lord and let Him teach us. So here we are. We've got these two stories that one, I believe, is trying to tell us, trying to teach us that we're supposed to uh, combine our spiritual and our physical. But uh, and here was another one with your physical may be your problem. Let me explain. Peter is stepping out of a boat, a boat with which he is very familiar. He knows it has the capability of bearing his weight. And he has never, ever thought of his shoes... <laughs> as boats or something that can suspend him in the water and uh, so he's he's trying something brand new well he needs to know that he's trying something brand new and that the 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 laws by which he's lived the physical laws by which he's understood things do not count in this situation it's going to take it's going to take the voice of the lord in your life to tell you these things but you need to be told these things because you're going to find yourself fighting against um, God's will in your life, fighting against your own conscience, fighting against your own common sense, and it's just going to be problem after problem after problem. Example. Peter is standing on water. He is standing on water at this point. Something that I assure you he's never done. And he, the Bible says that he looked about him and he saw the wind and the seas boisterous and began to sink. Begin to sink, I'm sorry. He began to sink. Now, what in the world happened to poor old Peter? He switched back over into his understanding of physical things. Look, he's a fisherman. He knows that, that uh, I mean, even boats get destroyed and capsized by waves and wind. This is a problem. And if a boat you know, that's, you know, a thousand times his weight has the ability of being capsized, chances are this, these wind and waves around here are going to capsize him. He doesn't put his eyes on Christ as he did when he stepped out of the boat. He didn't say, bid me to walk out the other way or I don't want to walk toward the shore or I want to go toward that island. He said, bid me to come to thee. 
So what was in his what was in his sight? It was Jesus Christ. But when he looked about him, what happened was is that he switched over into his understanding that he's had since he was a boy. And he knew that wind, that's a problem. Waves, that's a problem. This may not work like I thought. Now, I mean, you think about this. The wind and the waves. What in the world does that have to do with walking on the water? Are you thinking in your wildest imagination that if it's calm enough that you can walk on the water? (laughs) Are you thinking that if it's not raining and there's no wind and there's no waves that you can walk on the water? If a pond is still enough, if it's glassy enough, see, it doesn't even make sense. But we need the Father to tell us, no, you're thinking about this wrong. Don't go that way. That's not a concern here. I've, I've commissioned you. I've called you. I said go to the other side. Remember the other story? When, the, when Jesus calmed the waves in the seas, he did that because these men were operating under a commission. Let's go to the other side of the lake. And uh, under that commission, uh, nothing counts. Nothing counts. It's a wonderful place to live. It's a wonderful place to exist. But, friend, that is not going to come through Bible study. It's not going to come through your, even, even your experiences. So there is a separation to be made. Now, where you're going to make that separation, I wish I could give you instructions on this, but I can't. I would love to, but I can't. I don't know. But I do know where to send you. And I, and I just, I, I love the, the words of the, the Quaker founder, George Fox, when, he's, when he was trying to, trying to tell people that we're not people's teacher. Jesus Christ is our teacher. And he says, our duty, in, and friend, let me tell you, if you're a minister, this is your duty too. You step over this line, you're stepping into that dangerous area where he says, be not many teachers, seeing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. Why would we be condemned for trying? Because our duty is clearly this. We need to take people to the feet of Christ and leave them there. And That's what I'm trying to do for every person on earth. I don't have the wisdom to get you out of your mess. I don't have the wisdom to, to fix these problems for you or give you little cute little sayings or little maxims to live by or little little breakfast cards or scripture references. I can't do that. But our Father can, and He's made it possible for you. Keep His commandments. Don't ever disobey your conscience and take time every day to hear the voice of the Lord. Keep His commandments, I'll come into you, and I'll guide you from the inside. I wish you the best on this journey. I want you to start it today if you haven't started it already. And if you have started it and you're finding great results, I want to hear from you. Write to me, would you please? It's the end of the broadcast now, but I'd love to get your email to hear what you have to say. Don at thinkredink.com. All right, until next time, Think Red Ink. Bye-bye.
You've been listening to Don C. Harris of Think Red Ink Ministries. Email don at thinkredink.com. That's thinkredink.com. Join us again for the next episode in the Words of Jesus series.